Scott Deckert and I were having lunch, and I was talking about today's sermon with him, and I, I said, we're, one of the things I want to do is talk about the most beautiful sound. And Scott said, Greg, you've got to illustrate it by showing an opposite. You need to show first the most annoying sound possible. By the way, Children's Church, you are dismissed. Children's Church, you are dismissed. But what is the most annoying sound? Jim Carrey said this. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Guys, guys, guys! Now I shared that with some guys and asked, what do you think? Is that the most annoying sound? And uh, one of the guys who will remain nameless for the sake of his marriage... However, his initials, no, <laughs> said, uh, when your wife asks you, aren't you done with that project yet? Oh, and all the guys were going, yeah, that's annoying. But then I asked a wife, and the wife said, no, no, it, what's more annoying is when you, you hear, did you mean you wanted it done today? And then I, I've talked with parents, and parents tell me what's really annoying is when, when their kids look at them and say, in a minute! You know, they call and want them to come, and in a minute! And then teenagers tell me anything that comes out of their parents' mouth are the most annoying things in the world. I don't know. But I want to focus our, our thoughts not on the most annoying, but what's on, what are the most beautiful sounds in the world? Sid, I bet you think it's uh, the sound of a motorcycle on the open road just running great, huh? Yeah. Keith, it's the sound of a well-tuned automobile, that revving of the engine. Yeah. How about a newborn baby's cry? How about uh, teenagers? Anytime you go to your parents and say, heartfelt, I love you and thank you, your parents are going, oh, that's wonderful. Oh. Try it today. Watch them melt like, uh, yeah, try it. Try it. How about the sound of your name said by someone who loves you. You know, I, I, when, when Donna says, Greg, and, it, and it's, I love you and I'm proud of you and I'm so glad, you know, that, that Greg, not the Greg, but the Greg, you know, my heart melts and it's like, oh, 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 you know what I mean? Yeah. Beautiful sound today as we come to the cross in the midst of the misery in the midst of the carnage in the midst of the ugliness we have a beautiful sound last week we heard him cry out i thirst and and you heard of all the reasons why he needed a drink but there's one more 
And I believe it was to say this beautiful sound. It says here in the, in the passage that he took the drink deeply. Turn with me in your Bibles to John 19.30. In fact, in honor of the reading of God's Word, would you please stand with me as I read this one verse? Would you please stand? When Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, It is finished. And He bowed His head and gave up His Spirit. Please be seated. It's, I receive the wine. That means to drink deeply. His throat has been parched. He doesn't have much of a voice. And so he rejuvenates it with the wine. Why? Because how this is going to be spoken is important. According to Matthew and Mark's accounts, it said Jesus said this phrase in a loud voice. It was not a whisper. It was not a moan. It was a shout of victory. It was a triumphant declaration for all around to hear. He shouted out the beautiful word. It is finished. Uh, Pastor Greg, you did it again. You gave us three words. Ah, that's because in the Greek, it's one word. In the Greek, you see, the Greeks love to take a word and they love to shuttle as much stuff as they could in it. And they would make it complex and layered in its meaning. And the word here is te Tetelestai, tetelestai. And this beautiful word, tetelestai, is so complex. It, it, it means to say it is finished, it is complete, it stands finished, it will stay finished. It is finished once and for all time. And it would be tempting, just as Jesus' moments from, ending, from the ending of His life, to see this as simply a statement that his life is over, but to do so will miss the beautiful, multifaceted meaning of what he is saying. First, he is saying, my suffering is over. He is saying that his suffering is over. Jesus had to scurry his disciples out of the upper room at the night of the Last Supper because he knew Judas was going to betray them. So he goes to Gethsemane and he sees the olive press that is there. And it is such a picture of his heart being crushed by the pressures that were coming his way. He would pray in the garden knowing full well that in a short time he would drink of God's cup and he would have to humble himself and that during his anguish and during his distress he chooses the Father's will. He is betrayed and some have suggested over 600 soldiers showed up led by Judas and temple leaders. They descend upon him and they take him into the garden. They abuse him. They expose him to three sham courts. They <coughs> excuse me, incarcerate him. They throw him into a pit. He will endure more questioning from Pilate, more beatings, more mockings, a scourging. A robe will be thrown upon his battered body, left on just long enough for the blood to stick to the cloth. He will have the thorns pressed into his brow. He will take more mocking. He will have the cross, the nails, the suffering, the darkness, the abuse. And now all this is finished. Here's the comfort we find for our own broken hearts. He has been on the cross and now He cries, cast your cares on Me 
because my cross proves my love for you. I know pain. I know betrayal. I know what it's like to be misunderstood. I know what it's like to feel alone. I know what it's like to be in the dark. It is finished. It is also His mission is finished. A servant would stand before the Master and say, it is finished. I have finished your work. An artist would stand before his painting and say, it is finished. A writer would finish their manuscript and cry, it is finished. Jesus' mission is now finished. And we saw last week, every prophecy is now fulfilled. His mission for the Son of Man who came to seek and save the lost is finished. We see this which has started in Genesis 3.15 is now finished. Genesis 3.15 says that He will crush the head of the serpent. It's the picture of a rescue mission that will take place. My wife and I used to like a TV show called 24 with Jack Bauer. Any of you remember that? You know, uh, if you don't... Um, it was fun, but Kiefer Sutherland played the hero. Jack Bauer had the worst day ever. If you never saw the show, only watch the last 30 minutes. Okay? In fact, one, one vacation, we decided to rent one of the 24-hour episodes. I couldn't make it through. I got tired of walking, watching Jack lose. You know, they would come and he would, he would get the vial of, of anthrax but lose the nuclear bomb. He would get the nuclear bomb, but then he would get beaten up and then he would die and then they would have to shock him back to life. And, and every episode up to the last seven minutes, he loses and loses and loses and loses and finally he wins. And then he loses again. I got tired of watching him lose. But if you ever read the Scriptures, it looks like that's the way God operates, doesn't it? He has Adam and Eve. He puts them in the garden. What do they do? They sin. He has Cain and Abel. What happens? Cain kills Abel. Oh no. Then they go out and here's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. All three of them blow it. They go off to Egypt. They're in Egypt. They come out of Egypt. Moses, their leader, blows it so bad he has to go into remedial education for 40 years on the backside of the desert. The whole time they're out there complaining, complaining, complaining. In fact, they get to the very edge of the promised land. They blow it again and have to do 40 years of laps. Then we have them led by Joshua. They go into the land with the Lord. And they don't conquer the land because they rebel. They have a series of judges. They follow the judge as long as the judge is alive, but then they rebel. Then they have a kingdom. The first king rejects God. The second king is committed to God, but he's always messing up. The third king, the wisest guy ever, messes up. And then the kingdom falls apart. They eventually are taken in captivity. And then by the time Jesus comes, the religious leaders are corrupt. They're all about making a buck. They've forgotten why God put them on this planet. 
And they take the one guy who speaks truth, the one guy who is their hope, the one guy who can straighten it out, and they put him on a cross. It looks like God's way has failed. In fact, it makes Jack Bauer feel like he has had a good day. But you see, friends, we're looking through the eyes of men and not through the eyes of God. In the background, he's working his mission. He's working his plan. And his perfect plan comes together on the cross. And because his mission is finished, Jesus can cry out, it is finished. It means that the sacrificial system is over. The sacrificing of lambs and other animals is over. Jesus is hanging, looking at the temple. Jesus is looking at the temple knowing at this very moment there are Passover lambs getting ready to die. And it's almost as if He's looking at that little Passover lamb and He's saying, little lamb, this is the last time. You don't have to die anymore. I'm ending it. Today, it is finished. I don't think it is by accident that just a few years later, the system would be destroyed and never started again. But this sacrificial system, it was a system that was flawed. It was a system that had to be repeated. You see, the the blood of a lamb or goat or a bull could not cover the sin of a person forever. It was kind of like an IOU. When I worked at uh, the Dinky Diner in our little town of Strathmore, we would have some local businesses come and they would order food and then they would hand us an IOU. And at the end of the month, they would come in and settle up their IOU. And every now and then we'd have to get on the phone with a few of the, a few of the folks and say, hey, you know, it's been two months. We need you to come in and, and settle up. Because the IOU, while it was good for the moment, it really didn't pay the bill. The, the sacrifice of the sheep and goats, they, they were good for the moment, but they didn't really pay the bill. And they had to be repeated because they didn't pay the bill but Jesus Christ comes and he dies and he pays the bill once and for all listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 7 26 and following for it is indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest a holy and innocent unstained separated from sinners and exalted from the heavens he has no need like those priests to offer daily sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself 912 he entered in once for all into the holy place not by means of blood of goats or calves but the means by his own blood thus securing for you and i an eternal redemption 928 so christ having been offered once for all to bear the sins of many will appear a second time not to deal with sin but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him hebrews 10 8 when he said above you neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and bird offerings and sin sacrifices 
these were offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come. This is Jesus speaking. I have come to do your will. And he does away the fir- with the first to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It is finished. The sacrifices are over. Not only is over, but the debt is paid. The debt has been wiped out. Hear what God's Word has to say. Colossians 2.13 And you who are dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our sin by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And He set it aside. What did He do with our sin? He nailed it to the cross. Isaiah 43.25 I, I am He who blots out your sin with My own sake, and I will not remember your sins. 44.22 I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to Me because I have redeemed you. Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. It is finished. When He says this, He's saying the time of His death was His own choice. When He says this, He's saying, I chose to lay down My life and I choose to take it up again. It is not over until I say it is over. It was not Pilate. It was not the Jewish leaders. It was not the Roman soldiers. It was not Satan. It was not death. It was not the grave that took Jesus' life. He was no puppet. He was no slave. He chose. And He would not only lay down His life, but He will also be the one who takes it back. And I want you to get this. Not one lamb, not one dove, not one goat, not one bull ever rose from the dead. No sacrifice ever rose from the dead before. When it died, it died. That's the way things are. Ken Davis tells a story. Tells a story about a friend of his who had a beautiful German Shepherd dog, and that dog loved to dig, and that dog loved to play. And one day he looked out the backyard and he saw the dog, and in the dog's mouth was the neighbor's bunny rabbit. He calls the dog to him. The dog comes running and he looks, and it's too late. The bunny is gone. He knows his neighbor loves this bunny. So what he does is he takes the bunny, he washes the bunny, he gets out the blow dryer, gets it all fluffy, and he sneaks back into the yard, and he puts the bunny back into the cage. A little bit later, he hears, Ah! So he walks over and peeks over the fence. Everything okay? His neighbor is white as a ghost. White as a sheet. He goes, Yesterday, my bunny died, and I buried it. (laughs) And it's back! (laughs) 
When Jesus came back, he really came back. He was no ghost. He was no fluffed up bunny. He laid down his life. And he took it back again. When he cried, it is finished. The power of Satan is now broken. Death is now defeated. His resurrection proved that for one once and for all time. Jesus crushed the head of the serpent as prophesied. He destroyed Satan's power over death and set the captive free. Satan is now a vanquished foe, a beaten foe, forever beaten, forever. The fear of death is no longer there for the follower of Jesus Christ. For it is Jesus, not death, who is our master. It is finished. Jesus has fulfilled every requirement of the law. He has kept it with full perfection. There's nothing And he has done what no man could do. In fact, Matthew 5.17 says that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets, and he did it, and that qualified him to be our substitute. When he cried, it is finished. All that is needed for our salvation has been done. Everything has been accomplished. When he cries this, he has become our atonement. In other words, he has made it possible for us to become friends with God. He has become our propitiation. That's a big word, which means he's met God's requirement. And he's reconciled us, made us one with God. He's become our righteousness before God, so that when God looks at us, we are right in God's eyes. He has justified us. He has declared us free from the penalty of sin with the righteousness of Christ credited to our account. He has done everything we need for salvation. But come on, Greg. Don't I need to do something? Don't I need to do something? Come on. When we moved into our home, uh, I wanted some bookcases. And I mentioned it to Scott Deckard. Found out that Scott, uh, for fun, builds stuff. And he's really, really good. And he built us some beautiful bookcases. And the day he delivered them, he brought them over, he and his wife installed them. It was just amazing. And when he was done, I said, Scott, they are so beautiful but I need to be part of the process. I need to do something. He goes, no, Greg, they're done. They're, they're installed. They're just the way they should be. I said, no, no, Scott, I need to add to it. I need to help. So I've got a woodworking tool. I'll go get it, and I, I will put on the finishing touches. So I went out to my garage and got my hatchet. I came in, and Scott looked at me, and I took my hatchet, and I began to just chop randomly around so that I could make help and do everything that was needed to improve and I got a little carried away and in a few minutes there was nothing left of the bookcases Scott was weeping in the corner (laughs) he kept saying it was done it was finished there was nothing to add what are you doing What are you doing? I said, Scott, I needed to add. I needed to help. Now, fortunately, I'm smarter than that. I didn't do that. When he delivered him, I said, ooh, ah, wow. And I left my hatchet in the garage.
Thank you, sweetie. (laughs) And you know what? Sometimes with our salvation, the work of Christ, when he cries, it is finished, it is finished. There's nothing for us to add to. When we try to add the works of our own righteousness, of our own hand, we destroy what God has done for us. We destroy what he has done. He has finished it. There's nothing else to be done. It is finished. It is finished. When he cried it, he was saying, I brought the glory to my Father by completing his will. I have finished. It is finished. I have done the impossible. I have redeemed a people unto myself through the selfless, incredible act of love that both the Father and Son who operate in perfect unity planned from the beginning. It is finished. I wish I could have heard that cry. I wish I could have heard it. When he cried, it is finished and death lost. And some of you are going, Pastor Greg. Not sure death did. Not sure death did. I'm going to ask your indulgence, folks. I'm going to go a few moments over. I I won't go long over, but I will go over. So I'm going to ask your patience. It's been a tough week. Because while the power of death was broken when he cried out, it is finished, the effects of death still remain. This week, we've been praying with people in our congregation who have been wrestling with cancer, both publicly and privately. We have a sister who is in the hospital with pancreatic necrosis. A dear friend of BEFC uh, who has served us in the past. Some of you know her, Kim Lee has spoken here in the past. Kim has pancreatic cancer and is only expected two years at the max, but they think it's going to just be a much shorter time. It's been a, a week where the effects of death have, have been overwhelming. Where people in our church have have been broken down by either illness, mentally, physically, spiritually. People who struggle with infirmity. uh, People who struggle with, with tragedy. And I don't mind telling you I hate 
the word tragedy. I hate the word disease. I hate the word cancer. I hate the word Parkinson's. I hate the word ALS. I hate those words. So I want to show you something. You may not have heard the word tetelestai, but I want to show you a word you're going to hear. It's found in chapter 21 of the book of Revelation. If you have your Bibles, turn there, verse 1. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away. First of all, I want you to get this. This new heaven and new earth, because the old ones are passed away, God does not do refurbs. This is going to be brand new. It's going to be a heaven and earth that's never known sin. A heaven and earth that's never known disease. A heaven and earth that's never known death. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And then get this, get this, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I love the fact that God reserves that right for himself. God's going to dry our tears. Not his angels. Not each other. God is going to dry your tears. Why? Because your tears are precious to him. Every tear you've shed, he's felt. There will be no more death. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the forever things have passed away. And then he was seated on the throne and said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And here in verse 6, you've got to hear it, you got to see it. And he said to me, it is finished. Now your translation may say done or complete, but it's the word, it is finished. Now it's not the word I shared with you, tetelestai. It's a different word. It's a word called dinomai. And you know what that word means? That which has been predestined from the beginning is now done. That which I have started is complete, including my last foe, which 1 Corinthians tells us is death. I will abolish everything about death at the very end. You know? Excuse my crazy imagination. But I don't know about you, but I hope that God allows those people who have cancer to fold it up and drop kick it into the pit 
I hope that God allows those who are fighting congestive heart failure be able to rip that out and throw it into the pit. I hope that though, I, I'm looking forward to seeing my friend Ken stand up out of his wheelchair and throw his ALS into the pit. I am looking forward to seeing us cast off the chains of death and decay and destruction and throw it in the pit because guess what? We're going to a new place. A new heaven. A new earth. With eyes freshly dried by our Heavenly Father. And we're going to hear it is finished why look what it says i am the alpha and omega the beginning and the end i will be his god and i will they will be my children why because it is Amen.